Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm sitting in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on the island of Antigua, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and I want to say good evening to those who are listening. Hope that we are helpful this evening. Our topic tonight is drugs, and we're coming back to this topic a little over a year ago, we discussed marijuana in specifically, but we're coming back to this topic of drugs because it is being discussed more and more prevalently because of the prevalence of its use in schools or its effect in the schools. Pastor Murphy, as we discuss this topic, are there any groundwork thoughts that you want to share in order to get us off on the topic? Well, I would just like to... um say a few quick introductory words, uh, I need to call your attention to the fact that the misuse of drugs is becoming a growing national problem and it endangers both the health and the social order of society. I think this rising pattern of drug dependence and drug use should be a matter of grave concern to all individuals who value their society and value the lives of young people. Uh, What we fail to realize, however, is, um, and I think we need to grasp this, that the use of drugs is not the real problem. I repeat, the use of drugs is not the real problem. Drug use is a symptom of a much deeper, greater problem in our society. And that greater, deeper problem is the crisis of morals and values that are currently facing all Western civilizations. This pervasive use of drugs is a symptom of the hollow, empty, purposeless life that people have. It's a psychological problem and a spiritual problem. And so when we're looking at the matter of drugs, we need to understand uh, it's just a symptom of something that's far more deeper than that. Basically, a person uses drugs and indulges in drugs because it, he wants to, the drug to help him to enable the co- cope with the stress and strains of life. That's, that's the main use of drugs. And the drugs are used either to alleviate or ameliorate uh, physical or psychological pain or angst at the person, or even both of them. The goal of drugs, therefore, is to change the mental atmosphere in which the user lives and to help them cope or escape some form of mental pain or anxiety. It's a diversion from everyday life. And the drug user is essentially a moral coward. I repeat that. The drug user is a moral coward. He doesn't have the inner resources to cope with the challenges of life. And he seeks refuge in a halo of smoke uh, in order to uh, get away from reality. He's an escapee rather than a problem solver. He finds relief 
in the eerie world of make-belief, a kind of a utopic mirage of mental delusion that ultimately weakens uh, his entire physical, uh, psychological constitution. And uh, he surrenders his will to the empirical power of drugs. And his will being compromised, he becomes enslaved to the habit. So Bob Marley talked about mental slavery, song about mental slavery, but it's the greatest slavery, this psychological slavery, this spiritual slavery. The drug user is a captive. He's in bondage and he needs freedom. And he lives under the tyranny of a cruel master uh, who exploits his weakness and dominates his life. What he needs above everything else is freedom. And what a great opportunity it is for the church because there's no greater liberator than Christ himself who emancipates man. He, uh, he himself said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. So this, this uh, drug crisis we're faced with is a challenge to the church, and the church needs to rise to the occasion to offer the meaning and the purpose that uh, these people are searching for, give them some, something to live for, give them hope. And there's no greater hope, in, again, than in Christ and his coming and his return. So it's an opportunity for the church. Um, with those few remarks, I, I think that uh, I hope that um, the church and those who are listening would understand that it is really an opportunity for us uh, to fill a void that is needed so badly. And I hope that we are up to the task of meeting the needs of the young people who are literally perishing uh, because they've come under the control and the dominance of, of these drugs. But the, Pastor, the definition of a drug is anything that produces an altered chemical balance in the bloodstream with an associated altered mood. With that being the case, Coca-Cola with the caffeine, especially coffee, is a drug. So are you saying that a person who drinks coffee in the morning is a moral coward? Is that Am I connecting dots that you didn't mean to be connected? <laughs> No, I, I'm really talking about the use of illicit drugs. I'm talking about illegal drugs. I'm not talking... Okay. And look, the, everything we use today have some kind of drug in it. I can't think of caffeine as a drug. We all know that. When you drink tea, it has caffeine in it. But we are actually talking about the uh, the use of these raw drugs that completely alter the mind. I can drink uh, coffee and I can drink um any form of tea, uh, cocoa, uh, from which you get even the, the cocaine extract. I, I can use that. It doesn't affect my mind. It doesn't alter my mind. I don't, I don't see things or hear things that are not in, in the norms of life. Um, I, I don't have a distortion of time and distance. Uh, so I'm talking about the use of these things that uh, the medical profession have indicated very clearly that they're harmful to the body and they're destructive to the mind. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. So you're talking more like cocaine, heroin, ecstasy, right. marijuana. Correct. Even amphetamines and yeah. uh, barbiturates, those kind of things, and um, uh, the hallucinogen drugs. We're talking about those kind of uh, things that um, they actually you need prescription to get most of them. Now, some of those are naturally occurring uh, items or are found in naturally occurring items. And First Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 says, Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. It is to be received with thanksgiving. If that's the case, and we know the Bible is our source of truth. Could you read the verse again? Every yeah. what? Every creature of okay. God is good okay. and everything... And nothing to be refused. Yeah. It is to be received with thanksgiving. Yeah. 
Well, the response to that is very simple. If you take the context there you've got in, in Timothy, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, food. He's talking about things that you eat, basically meats. He's dealing with that. Yeah. Uh, so in that context, uh, under the Old Testament economy, God had laid down certain restrictions that certain meats were off and were not to be used. Uh, of course, the purpose of that design was to teach the people of Israel the difference between that which was clean and unclean, that which was holy and unholy. Uh, it not only related to, 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 um, to um, meats, it related also to how they dressed. They could not mix linen with different types of with wool, for example. And then even in, in gardening, you couldn't put certain plants with certain plants because he was trying to draw a clear distinction about holiness and uncleanness. So under the law, there were very strict regulations. But the Apostle Paul is teaching very clearly that uh, all those regulations that were under the Old Testament economy were fulfilled in Christ. Those ceremonial things and those uh, restrictions dealing with debts were, were completely uh, done away with. And now uh, the believer has the freedom and the liberty to enjoy uh, what God has provided. For example, uh, you know that the SDA are very strict on not using pork. Uh, I don't think they eat lobsters either or crabs, etc., et because under the Old Testament, those things were forbidden. Uh, under the New Testament economy, those things are no longer regulatory. Uh, those things are no longer required. That's why if you don't want your lobster, please send it to Pastor Murphy and give my address <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that drug use is pervasive. Why is it so pervasive? Well, there are a number of factors um, and several reasons why it's become so common uh, in Western societies. Uh, I just want to uh, perhaps share with you a few of them. First of all, uh, of course, is the ease of access accessibility. If you have uh, a supply that is readily accessible to people, uh, the greater the supplier, the greater the demand is going to be. So the thing about drugs, when it becomes easily available, uh, you're going to have increased use. So that helps to um, um, explain why it's becoming so pervasive. You know, there was a time when people would hide to sell marijuana or to share marijuana. Uh, if you travel the streets of Antigua and you live in any village, you could go through, you realize that it is so open now. Uh, I was just talking to a lady this week, and she's talking about children from school who... Um, mm -hmm when they should be in school, they're behind her territory and they're smoking weed, but she's afraid of uh, calling the police because if it gets known that she's the one that reported it, uh, there could be some violence exercised against her, so consequently she remains mute. But that's a common problem. I, I travel the road, I travel uh, in my way going home, et cetera, et cetera. I see the guys, I smell it, it's in the atmosphere. It's very, very, very common all over this country. So, uh, But I think that is a result of the supply. Supply and it, it's so pervasive because it's so accessible. Uh, the other factor is that I think the distorted information that is given about the, the drug, um, it is sometimes elevated and purported to be have all kinds of positive effects. For example, I've been watching CNN and some other um, international news stations, and they've done a, a series on marijuana, and they're making marijuana a glorious drug that is supposed to help all have all these medicinal purposes, et cetera, et cetera. The truth of the matter is that by highlighting what they perceive to be the uh, the, the good use of marijuana, they are uh, really dev um, devaluing 
the real dangerous harmful effects of marijuana. So they 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 they're emphasizing the wrong the wrong and young people want to grasp that. Any time you can show me a reason for using it, I'm going to use it. The truth of the matter is that the THC that is in marijuana that gives you the high, it has no medical use. It's just, a, as a matter of fact, it is dangerous, it is harmful. But you will never get that, you never hear that side of the story. So young people are confused. And the confusion has come because it's a lopsided presentation of the problem. And uh, they're always looking for some kind of a ra- to rationalize the use of something that the others are doing. So I think part of the problem is the distorted information that's being fed to the public and especially to the young people without really hammering home the negative impact and the dangerous and harmful use of the drug. And I think this helps to um, uh, create an atmosphere where young people want to experiment. Then I think the third thing is the removal of the stigma for the drug and making it more socially accepted. This happens when there are no consequences to the use of marijuana. And the fact that they're now decriminalizing it, not just in Antigua, but other parts of the world, the stigma has been removed so now that once that stigma is gone, it becomes a social drug that has now become like alcohol or like cigarette smoking. Uh, When you lower those things, you're going to have increased use. Uh, The idea was that when you did away with prohibition, and you do the way all those laws that people would act more rationally and be would not be an increase in it, a decrease in it. But look what has happened: Opposite. the biggest drug problem in the world is alcoholism. Yeah. Biggest drug problem. It's the number one drug problem in the world. But again, um, because it became socially accepted, uh, etc. Uh, fourthly, I think by reducing the legal penalties attendant on its use and lifting consequences. Um, Somewhere in this program, if we get enough time to deal with the problem, I, I think that while I understand the reason for decriminalizing the, the drug, uh, a young person makes mistakes when he's young, very stupid. Let's put it that way. We're all stupid when we're young. And then to have used a drug and then to have that for the balance of your life that presents you from having opportunities, even to go overseas, whatever it is, I understand the reason for decriminalizing. But I think there should be penalties for the use of the marijuana. And I, I hope that sometime in the program we'll talk about what will be some appropriate penalties to deal with that problem. Um, the other thing is the lax enforcement of the law against the use of the drug. I just read a document somewhere where it was pointed out by the, I think, the Attorney General that uh, marijuana is restricted to people 18 years of age. Uh, it can only be used in the private place, not in public. Uh, and, of course, you can only, I think it's 15 grams or 20 grams that you're allowed to have on you. Uh, now, I, I don't go anywhere to find drugs. I don't go anywhere to see drugs. But I am saying to you, that I am disturbed at the prevalence of it. And if I'm just a casual traveler in Antigua, I can't understand why police cannot see the same things I'm seeing and deal with the problem. But I think what has happened, law enforcement has been very lenient towards this matter. Consequently, it's like i able to steal um, a small sum of money, even though stealing is wrong, but there's no enforcement of the law. I'm emboldened now to keep on using whatever, and I think that's what has happened. And then I think also another reason is failure to address the real personal psychological pain that has the root of the problem. The emptiness in people's lives, 
the purposelessness by which people live and the hollowness that is there and the meaninglessness that uh, uh, we have in society. And that's why I say to you uh, at the introduction that I believe that the church has a superb opportunity to be able to, to help to deal with this problem because we can give meaning, we can give purpose, uh, we can give uh, we can fill the void that is there by giving hope. Uh, so it's a really opportunity. But I think that uh, one of the big problems is that we're living in a purposeless, meaningless society where uh, life is just empty and hollow, and people are trying to fill that void, and they're filling that void with the use of, uh, of drugs. The other thing is that I don't think that people fully understand the connection, the historical connection between the use of uh, drugs, these kind of drugs, and the occult and the, the demonic world of religion. Um, uh, the use of a drug in, in connection with um, a particular religion or faith, uh, that's, this is not something new. The American Indians uh, use um, mescaline and use the cactus and the drug there to supposed to connect with, with God more. Uh, the other ancient uh, cultic religions that always had a drug to somehow put them in contact with the God. Uh, all of this, of course, is idolatry that the Bible condemns. This is, this is demonism without recognizing what is at the real heart of it. And I don't think people fully understand the association with the supposed use of a drug to somehow get in connect with God and link it with religion. So it's an ancient think, form of paganism and a cult system, yes. Do you think drug use actually does put you in contact with demons? Of course. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Um, I, if I had time to share with the um, audience, maybe we'll do it sometime. I can talk about experiences I know from people I know um, that, will, that have committed some real serious offenses and it's always about a voice telling them to do whatever they're doing no question about that at all um, and I think that I have said this in another program that when you don't have control of your mind you open the door of your mind to evil supernatural powers that invade the mind and begin to control the mind this is where I think a lot of if you go to the psychiatric hospital for example um, and you talk to some of the nurses up there uh, you will see that a lot of the mental cases are linked with the use of drugs. And uh, these people hear voices. Uh, there's no question about that. And I think that some of those cases uh, cl clear has to do with demonism. And then the, the other thing is the what I call the tacit endorsement of the drug culture by giving celebrity status to musicians and artists who themselves are advocates of drug use. We, we big them up uh, before the youth. We promote their their shows and their programs and what we are doing basically is lifting up these people as icons to the youth while we already know that these are people who use drugs advocate the use of drugs and even in their songs they promote the use of drugs I think that that's a tacit endorsement of it and that encourages a more widespread use of it and then another thing I think is the defeatist attitude that uh, people uh, have it is surrendered to the battle and rather than fight the problem, they normalize the use of drugs. I call it the philosophy of impotence. Uh, they lack the will to fight, and they develop this defeatist attitude. And that encourages um, uh, people to uh, give up, and when you give up, basically, you allow the system to, to run its own steam. 
Uh, here's another thing. I think the introduction of drugs to the young at a very early age clearly would lead in the future to greater dependence on drugs. And that's what's happening earlier and earlier and earlier. Uh, young people are being exposed to these drugs because the availability of it and because the stigma is removed. And now that every home can have four plants, uh, I suspect that this is going to get worse and worse. And finally, I would say there's no real pushback from the church. I think the church is mute. It is silent. It's supposed to be the moral conscience of the nation. But very often, rather than speak out on these issues uh, for whatever reason, uh, they are either compromising with the system or they prefer to remain silent. And if you remain silent, uh, evil will, will grow. And I think this is uh, part of the reason why this happens. You were referencing the effect of drugs and not having control of your mind or your body. I came across a study that was done in the mid-90s in Australia. And at that time, 70% of inmates in Australian prisons were under the influence of alcohol or drugs at the time that they committed the crime they were in prison for. 70%. So even if half of those crimes hadn't happened, if they hadn't been under the influence, you would have greatly reduced your prison population. Well, uh, I forgot. I didn't write down the statistics, but it's quite close to that. But uh, every arrest uh, in the U.S., every arrest, uh, the figure is between 70 and 80 percent as well of people who have been, in, when they test them, there's some involvement in some kind of illegal drug. Uh, if that doesn't speak to our problem, and help us to understand until we get a handle on this thing and grapple with it and face it and deal with it uh, forthrightly. It doesn't augur well for the future uh, and the social situation in this country and the crime rate in this country. I think that we're in for deep trouble in the future unless we try to deal with this problem, nip it in the bud before it gets any worse. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We would love for you to call in with your question for Pastor Murphy. The phone number to call is 1-268-462-7420. That's 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 268- Seven eight two, one four five four. WhatsApp or text two six eight seven eight two, one four five four. Pastor, I have a quote here from the president of the Antigua and Barbuda Teacher Union of Teachers, and he says that more and more students are coming to school not being able to function unless they take a draw. Uh, I know you are. Your church has a primary school. I know that you are familiar with a number of teachers. Are you aware of any instances or have heard of any instances where students are being affected by drugs? Well, I, in our school, our school is a Christian school. It's very, very strict. Um, we don't have this kind of a problem. I haven't heard it reported. Uh, most parents understand that if a child was involved in this activity, uh, we would have no problem in dismissing the child or suspending the child. So to my knowledge, I haven't heard of anything within our, our, our private school. I do know that in the public school, it's a big problem. Uh, I know that because I've been at functions uh, held by the Social Transformation Minister uh, where I sat 
with uh, police officers that mm-hmm. go into the schools and who have told and uh, this is my youth myself when a youth pastor was there so he could confirm what I'm saying who was distraught at the problem that they were faced the police officer yes yeah, face especially uh, in the lower schools uh, within the public school system now, I, I wasn't only secondary school not only the primary school but uh, what I learned there uh, really shocked me and the officer was very concerned about loosening the use of marijuana in this country because it's a big, it's a massive problem. And it's, you know, a lot of people think that the trouble period of a person's life is like 14 to 18. I remember when I was a boy going to primary school, I remember how wicked I was. And if I were to tell you the kind of things that uh, I thought of and did, uh, it would shock the public. You would think that well, you had to be a teenager, and I'm I'm, 50, I'm I'm 65, right? It's gotten far worse than that. The primary school, the things that those kids do and learn and engage in uh, are frightening. Uh, they have more knowledge of, of subjects than I have, even when I was a, a teenager in, in those kind of years. And and so when it comes to the the the, the primary school. Um, if a primary school student has a, a, boy, has a brother going to the uh, secondary school and he is using the weed, it's just a matter of t- time before he begins to spliff as well. So I think it's a problem. I think the government ought to listen to um, the, those who, who know. And uh, I hope that the, um, the president of the teachers' union could do some kind of investigation if he needs to uh, or do some kind of a survey uh, and I think that would be what good if a survey can be done in the schools without people writing their names, asking questions about the use of the drug, when they started, how frequent they use it. Uh, if you can get uh, the, the people being honest without any names on it, I think that statistical data should help the government to really understand the depth of the problem. And there probably needs to be something to be done along that line uh, so that uh, rather than it seem as uh, people trying to politicize the issue, that they really face the facts and begin to deal with it. Pastor, should a Christian be using illicit drugs if they are legalized? For example, I I don't know why any believer would want to use an illicit drug. The the reason, again, we come back, when we come to deal with the reasons why people use that, uh, drugs are functioning for the same purpose that the living Christ is supposed to function in the believer's life. Uh, people are uh, they want hope uh, they might be depressed uh, and they need to be given hope uh, they might be distraught they're struggling to deal with it they might have a problem with their identity their self-worth their sense of inadequacy we are to find those resources in Christ and uh, and the resources that God has given to us so uh, those people are trying to find calm they're trying to find peace they're trying to find some kind of relief Again, we are very, very clear in the Scripture that the abundant life is found in Christ, that we find peace in Christ, that we find calm in Christ, that we find hope in Christ. So I don't see why a believer should have to use drugs as a prop because that's what the use of illicit drugs that become legalized eventually are for. They're kind of a a prop, a kind of a crutch that people uh, hold their lives on. Um, For a believer, I think that is totally it. For example, you take um, alcohol. You take cigarettes. Why would a Christian smoke? He's not only destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And by the way, anybody will tell you, if you, if you smoke, 
you cut your life by 10, 10 years. If you smoke and drink, you cut your life by 15 years. Those are, those are medical facts. That's not, that's nothing glib. So you are going to tell me you're going to take the body that God has given to you. And you're going to deliberately use, a, use drugs that you know are going to cut your life short by 10 to 15 years. Uh, if that isn't um, some form of um, sadism, I, I don't know what is. But what about, would you say Spurgeon was a man who was used of God? Yeah, of course. And so once upon a time, there was, and this is documented in a, a Christian magazine called Christian World from September 25th, 1874. There was a guest speaker at Mr. Spurgeon's church who spoke out against the sin of smoking. Immediately after that, Mr. Spurgeon stood up and said the following, Well, dear friends, you know that some men can do to the glory of God what other men would say is sin. And notwithstanding what Brother Pentecost, that's the name of the pastor, has said, I intend to smoke a good cigar to the glory of God before I go to bed tonight. If anybody can show me in the Bible the command, Thou shalt not smoke, I am ready to keep it. But I haven't found it yet. How would you respond to that, Pastor? My response to that is that Spurgeon was imperfect like all of us. And Spurgeon, like all of us, looked to rationalize things that we want to, to get involved in. Um, Spurgeon didn't have the medical knowledge that we have right now of how dangerous the use of, of marijuana, I mean, of um, nicotine is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect that if Spurgeon had that kind of knowledge, I think he would have had a, a change of heart. The other thing is that cha- Spurgeon did stop smoking when he realized it was having a, an effect on his testimony. So, um, but... I, I would respond to that. Look, all all men are made of feet have feet of clay. All men are imperfect, and uh, all men have particular habits. And uh, sometimes we need to be convinced and, and convicted that they're wrong. Um, so I would put Spurgeon in the same category that all of us that we have or or like things that we like or predispositions. We have our idiosyncrasies and. Sometimes, even though there's not a direct verse in the Bible that could um, somehow say that something is wrong, um, it really is an excuse for us to practice what we want to practice because there are a lot of things in the Bible that there's no clear Bible verse on that uh, could actually affect your testimony and witness uh, to others. And you ought to, uh, Paul says, if eating uh, or, or drinking would cause my brother to offend, I will eat no meat while the world yet standeth. So a lot has to do not with what I want, but sometimes what the impact is having on other people's lives. I might think something is perfectly legitimate for me to use, but the impact it has on other people, is if it's damaging my witness and my testimony, I must be willing to forego the use of whatever it is. Are you joining us on Facebook Live? Thank you for joining us. Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes of a radio program? You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and see a video feed, live video feed. You can comment your question if you're watching the video feed, and your question will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is available, and the number is 268-462-7420. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-782. One four five four. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is three and a half minutes after 8 p.m. We have just about a full hour left in the program. 
Pastor, you mentioned already some reasons that people use illegal drugs, but I'd like to hear you expound on uh, those reasons. Yeah, we talked about the pervasive use of it, what, what, what conditions lead to uh, the wider use of drugs. I think now we need to zero in more on the motive, the motivation uh, uh, behind it. And there are several reasons that people uh, would use it. I just want to mention several of these to you. Um, One, and by the way, the order is not sequential, and there's no indication which is a priority or which is not. I'm just going to share some of these with you. Uh, The peer group identification. Uh, this is one reason that people get involved in drugs. Uh, it's a thing that the my peers are doing, and to be identified with them, to be recognized with them, to be accepted by them, I get involved in it because in doing so, uh, it's a stamp of approval. And so I think that that kind of, pr- and by the way, peer pressure is enormous on teenagers. Uh, you don't want to feel that you're not part of the group, part of the crowd, and pressure is, is put on you to really conform to whatever the standards are. If the standards is, standard is that you, to become part of the group, you must take a spliff. Uh, that severe pressure, normally the young person would yield. And then uh, secondly is what I call adolescent rebellion. Revolt is very omnipresent in the heart of an adolescent. It's just part of his nature. Whatever society is for, he's against. It's just part of him. And uh, if society is against the use of some kind of drug, uh, he seems to develop this opposite mindset uh, that he's going to rebel against what the norms of society are. And this sometimes, this rebellious spirit pushes in the direction of drug use. The other thing is the need for experimentation. There's a mystique about drugs, and uh, when you hear people talk about the use and the effect it has, um, the young person wants to find out for himself by some form of experimentation. I think if you were young and you were an adolescent, you've gone through that stage, I think all of us can identify with that desire to experiment, just to see how it feels, how it tastes, or or, or what impact it's going to have. Uh, The other thing that is is what we might call social currency, the kind of coming to age right that once you have done this you you're now recognized that you're now the mature macho type of uh, teenager and that has an appeal in itself and then who can forget the thrill of danger uh, the adrenaline going uh, and the idea today of a, a kind of a twisted high uh, you know sometimes I see some of these dangerous games that people play a guy puts a rope around his leg and falls down a mountain. I don't know who crazy guy could ever think about doing that. But I'm told that's a thrill of adrenaline. And, and, and that, there's, a, there's that, that thrill of danger. Now, I don't identify with that because I'm a, I'm a scarecrow when it comes to those kind of things. But <laughs> there are some young people that really have that, that, that element in them. And uh, the closer they go to danger, there is just a thrill out of this world that is inexplicable. I think that helps in the process. And then I don't do it for what is called self-discovery. Um, it's believed that the drug will give you a greater understanding of your inner self, and you get to know uh, yourself much better. So they're exploring what is called the inner world. You've heard people talk about that again and again. And another reason, of course, is to escape from some mental pain or some problem. It might be a problem on happiness, and this happens a lot when there's a bad strain parental-child relationship uh, 
many kids uh, uh, push themselves into drugs because this is a primary factor in, in adolescent use. They can't seem to cope with the strain and stress of the house, the relationship that is there. They find comfort in their peers. Their peers are using uh, drugs and uh, they themselves begin to use it. So there might be some kind of unhappy, and then loneliness. Um, you know, uh, society uh, is so cruel on people who are oversized or too, too thin, uh, people who are not athletic and who are kind of clumsy, uh, people who perhaps are not intellectual and who are late developers. Sometimes those people are marginalized, and as a result, they try to find some kind of comfort and relief in the pursuit of drugs. And so there's also this feeling of alienation that you don't connect um, maybe with your mates at school, your family at home, um, those in your, your community. Uh, you're just kind of a, a loner. Uh, that leads also to drugs. And then depression. Depression doesn't isn't something that just happens to adults. Uh, children uh, go through bouts of depression as well. Uh, and when a person is depressed and it's a prolonged feeling of hopelessness and despair and uh, uh, you can see very well that you want some kind of relief and this is where the euphoria of taking a drug and give you this calm, cool spirit this lift off, this burden, whatever it is you can see the attraction of that and then the inability to solve and resolve personal and interpersonal conflicts and this is quite related to the parent-child problem, but it also relates to their peers and other persons with whom they're in contact with. They just can't seem to be able to handle those kind. And then they find that rushing to drugs uh, really is a relief mechanism that calms the spirit when that happens. And what about feelings of inadequacy? Uh, you, whatever you do, you can't please mom, you can't please dad, you can't please anybody. Uh, your level of competence... Um, is seen to be very low um, and the, again it's a matter of feeling better about yourself and that safety haven might be uh, drugs and what about stress uh, you've got stress of homework you got and by the way <laughs> I must say that the amount of homework that kids are given today even from primary school is just shocking um, when I was in secondary school, I didn't have to do some of the homework that these kids are doing with research papers and all this kind of stuff. Uh, of course, it's good that they got mom and dad to help them, but uh, there's such a, a burden uh, placed on kids uh, that sometimes they are so stressed out. And if their friend, friend have found relief through the use of uh, some kind of drug, the temptation uh, would be there. Uh, I would also add to this... Um, the experience that we all want to have something that is pleasurable or euphoric or peaceable to give us a kind of calmness uh, and contentment uh, that is something that is pushed and consequently uh, the attraction there is to get this this, this uh, hedonistic uh, feeling of pleasure and a lot of people would also talk about expansion of consciousness and this is a big one. The idea is that drugs enlarge your scope of your um, mental functions, uh, that you have vast reaches in your mind which are not yet explored 
and which cannot be explored rationally or consciously. So you need to be in an unconscious state to experience these, uh, this, they call it expanding of consciousness. I believe that certain drugs would open new modes of knowledge and experience. It almost sounds new age. Yeah, yeah somewhat. <laughs> but uh, they believe that using drugs would aid their creativity. Uh, if you're an artist, that when you're in this, this world of, um, this drug world, that somehow you become more creative, that um, it heightens your aesthetic responses, uh, your, your, your concept of beauty um, is enhanced when you use drugs, they say. And then um, the sometimes what is something called um, depersonalization or ego dissolution, where your, your whole ego is lost and you become immersed and messed. In, in other words, you almost become integrated with the whole world because you're no longer, you, you lose your identity. Uh, this is called a higher consciousness where you become wrapped up with God almost so that the distinction between you and this higher power is gone. That's another attraction. That is, and then, of course, the removal of inhibitions. You want to do something, but your conscience smites you. The drug, on the other hand, will elevate you to a point where you can now express yourself in ways that, and freedom without having the annoyance of your conscience. And that could lead you to... Uh, to, to do it. And then, of course, there's repressed material that you're told that you have within your subconscious. And there are people who want to find out what that repressed material is all about. And, and drugs, I'm told, uh, said that they'll help in this matter. And the last thing I'd like to say, uh, Brother Nathan, is that there's a very... Uh, there's a relation between certain personality factors and the use of drugs. There are certain types of persons that have a tendency to use drugs. For example, people who have low self-esteem. They don't value themselves. They don't think they're loved. They don't think they're acceptable. So does that make it okay to use it? Absolutely not. I, I, I keep saying to, that what the drug is supposed to do is exactly what we should find in Christ. I find my, if I am at a point where I don't have any esteem myself, I have a very low value, I have to find my, 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 my uh, identity and my value in Christ. Uh, I've got to find it in the fact that God has created me, that I'm special, that I, I was made. I, was not, I didn't come here by chance. I came here by a deliberate creation of God, that God loves me. He sent his son to die for me. That gives me value. So I don't find my identity using the drug, uh, you know, to lift my spirit. That's why I said to you, the church has a wonderful opportunity here that I think is missing because uh, people that, who don't value themselves have a low value of themselves. We can give them biblical song, biblical reasons for elevating their self-concept by pointing them to Christ and what the Bible says about them. And then those people who have low expectations for personal achievement, those are people as well that, that tend to go towards drugs. The other one is those who lack any impulse control, people who are very impulsive, the, you know, the lack of control, those are also earmarked as people that are very vulnerable to the use of drugs. And then another one is uh, people who are adventuresome, uh, you can see that, you know, I just want to find out. And people who are independent, they don't listen, want to listen to what anybody says, I must find out for myself. That kind of a person as well has a tendency to go that way. And then those who seek inclusion in a social group, people who are not leaders but followers, uh, a person who is that, you can say that he's a follower or he's a, you know, if you can say that, he's more inclined uh, to use uh, illegal drugs. So those are several reasons I've just uh, shared with you, and um, 
I think that you will find within this composite that there are explanations as to why there's this interest in the use of drugs. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call and be put live on the air. one 462 7420 You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 If you would like to remain anonymous as you send your question via WhatsApp or text, we can do that and would be glad to oblige you in that way. Again, that WhatsApp or text number is one 782 1454 Pastor, how would you respond to the listener that says, I have a family member who is getting involved in drugs? How should I proceed? Well, I, I would, uh, first of all, um, I want I would try to try to try to identify if there are any um, indicators that the person is actually using drugs. Um, it's one thing to accuse a child of using drugs, and if he is innocent, you can do a lot of damage to him because it means that mom doesn't trust me. Um, and there are some children who will protest that they're not using the drug, but the parent keeps insisting that they're using the drug. And a child can reach the point of exasperation and say, okay, if you think I'm using a use drug, well, now you've got a real reason for doing that. So I would, I would suggest to the parent that before you come to uh, any uh, uh, final conclusion, uh, try to identify if there are any indicators that the child is using the drug. That's the first thing I would re- re- recommend. If you do find those indicators, um, then you have to get some kind of intervention. Generally speaking, it's, it's best to talk to the child yourself to try to find out what's going on in his life. Uh, and if you yourself find that you're incompetent to try to help him, try to seek somebody who can um, uh, not try to talk him out of the situation. Uh, but also try to explain to him uh, some of what I've told you because when you're dealing with people on drugs, a lot of people don't know uh, what, why people use drugs. When you begin to explain to them why that is happening, they can probably identify what well, is exactly what I'm using. And then, of course, a lot of people are not aware of the danger of the drug. You've got to go through details to explain, educate them in terms of the danger. And ultimately, you have to point out to the person that it's really a psychological, uh, spiritual problem that they're trying to fill a void that is not being met, and ultimately that gives you an opportunity to point them to Christ. But uh, I would, uh, I don't know if you would like me to share, uh, Nathan, with some of the um, identifying marks that would help a parent to be able yeah. to discern whether or not the, the child is um, is on drugs. Let me just begin by saying it's hard for a parent to admit a child is chemically involved in some kind of addiction. Very, very difficult. Uh, part of that is because the parent perceived himself as some kind of a failure. Because our our sense of worth is wrapped up in our kids. When we, uh, our kids are engaged in that kind of illegal activity or, or activity that's going to damage, uh, somehow we, we feel as though we haven't done enough. So we've, we've made some kind of failure. So sometimes we would prefer to bury our heads in the sand and, and not face reality. And that in itself, by the way, avoids the child getting the help they need at that time. For example, a study was done at Emory University of School of Medicine where the researchers were trying to find out uh, the difference between a parent 
what a parent thought of his child use of drugs and what the children were actually doing. And there was such a disparity. For example, when it came to alcohol, 35% of the parents say that their children uh, weren't were new alcohol. In actual fact, when they checked the kids, 67% were using alcohol. Wow. Marijuana. 3% of the parents said that, ah, oh, nah, my child. And when they found out, 28% of them was using marijuana. Um, other form of stimulants, 1% parents said, no, nah, it never happened. 8% were using stimulants. Cocaine. Uh, parents said, no, nah, never use it. 6% of the kids were using cocaine at the time. And then inhalants. Uh, the parents said, absolutely not, 2%. So the parents' view of the situation is so much different than the actual reality on the ground. And that is because of the, uh, the, the, the discomfort that comes from having to admit that perhaps my child is involved in some kind of activity. So uh, that is why there's such a difference between what is actually happening in the child's life and what the parent uh, thinks is happening in the child's life. Now, I want to uh, share with the parent um, some ways of identifying uh, if your child is abusing some kind of chemical or some kind of drug and uh, what kind of symptoms uh, to look for. I would like to say that there are some very subtle symptoms that um, you have to be more watchful with these. And what I mean by that is that uh, sometimes you can confuse these signs with the adolescent adjustment problems that, ad- that adolescents have. So because this is happening, it doesn't necessarily mean the child is on drugs. So you've got to be very, very careful. Uh, let me mention some of these, these subtle signs of chemical use. Number one is secrecy. Um, you know, he never used to be in his room that frequent. Uh, he was much more open, but now he seems to... He used to play with his brothers and his sisters. Now everything is like he's involved. Now that may be the result of his growth and his development, but again, you're not too sure. So you've got to take that as a, a symptom that perhaps change of friends. Um, so now he's got a complete different bunch of friends, and uh, there should be some kind of signal with these friends that uh, they're more of a radical type of, of friends. Change of dress and appearance. <clears throat> Uh, neglect of he used to be manicure himself or herself but now they're becoming um, less concerned about how they look etc etc so the, there seems to be a deterioration in terms of the appearance uh, increased isolation always want to be by himself change in interests or activities um, he's no longer um, engaged in the things that he found to be very attractive. Now he has an interest in, in, in other things. Dropping grades. He's doing so well. But then suddenly his grades begin to drop. Something is happening there. Um, getting f- um, sent home from school for bad behavior or having to be suspended. That's not your son. He's not this normal way. So you begin to see a radical change in his life. So when you begin to see change of behavior in the home as well, he used to be very cooperative. Now he's very rebellious, etc. And he doesn't want me to talk to him. Again, that's an adolescent change, but it can also be a change that something is going on in the child's life. And then staying out late. Now I hope that every parent has a curfew on, on the child when the child should be home. But if you find that the child is increasingly coming home late, I think that should be a concern. Possessing a bottle of eye drops is a very good sign because when you're using marijuana your eyes become bloodshot 
So if you find that your eye drops are missing and he has it in his room, you should suspect that he's probably engaged in something. And when he finally begins to drop sports, most young people love sports. I don't have to tell you that. But when you find out that this, he used to love soccer, he's like cricket or he likes some tennis. Now, he has no more interest. In, I mean, this is not my son. I think those are some of the subtle signs that the child might be uh, using chemicals or abusing chemicals. Now, add to that uh, these following symptoms, which are not so subtle and which ought to be concerned that their child is most certainly involved in drugs. Uh, deep depression. Okay, deep depression. A teenager should not have that kind of a burdensome weight on his shoulders that he goes into deep depression and frequent depression. Extreme withdrawal from the family. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's moving away from the family, from his brothers and sisters, uh, from his mom, from his, his dad. I think that's a sign. Increasing uh, unexplained absenteeism from school. The teacher said he didn't go to school today, but you sent him to school. Uh, that should send up a red flag that he's going somewhere. He's engaged in some kind of activity. And by the way, that's why I think the government has a useful program of truant, uh, checking on children who go to school, and if the children are absent, follow up with the parents. I commend the government for that move because uh, I remember, as I said, I'm 65. I remember when I was in primary school, I used to tell my parents I'm going to school, I'm at the beach. So, <laughs> so I think it's a good thing, but nobody Not you passed. Nobody was nobody was checking on me then, right? Um, and then uh, little or no involvement in church activities. Now they used to be involved in vacation Bible school, Bible club ministry, uh, maybe Sunday school, but now there is no interest any longer, uh, no spiritual interest any longer. I think that's a, another sign. When the person starts uh, having the smell of smoke on them. No, marijuana has a distinct smell. Yeah. And if you're smoking it, sometimes it remains in your, in your shirt, in your hair, whatever it is. So if you begin to smell that, uh, or you know, you need or the clothing, he comes home uh, uh, from school and he no longer lets you wash his shirt or his pants or something like that. He, he prefers to do it himself, as though he's becoming more mature. The fact, the fact is, he's trying to hide the odor. And then when he starts having money problems, you're giving him an allowance or you're giving him money to take for school, and he's always wanting more uh, and you can't find what he's doing with his money I think that is a, should be a concern extreme weight loss or weight gain if you find that that is a, a change that's beginning to happen I think that's going to and then um, when he begins to associate with older friends he no longer wants to want to be a friend's, a friend's age I think that should be a, 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 a great concern here's another one He's always rebellious and argumentative. No matter what you say, he's offended by what you say. And when you begin to find him also listening to heavy rock music or heavy um, um, reggae music or, uh, you know, when he, that's his lifestyle now. Uh, a lot of those lyrics uh, have very suggestive words in them. Uh, that was not his choice of music before, but now it's becoming means that where he's going, he's hearing this music, he's becoming atoned to this music, his ears are becoming adjusted, and now he has a different change in music taste. Yeah. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in. Does the Bible prohibit the use of alcohol? Good question. <laughs> 
my, my, my response to that is uh, there are passages in the Scripture that are very clear on it. Um, uh, the book of Proverbs uh, talks about uh, giving wine, uh, red wine, uh, to a fool. Uh, so if you read the book of Proverbs, it mocks the man who drinks and becomes inebriated. Uh, it mocks that. The Bible condemns drunkenness, no question about that. Um, the other thing I would say that we've got to be very careful with in trying to equate uh, what the Bible teaches with what we have today, the the uh, amount of alcohol that we have today in the 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 thing that is used, the percentage is far greater than it was back then. So when the Bible says wine, it's not the same wine. No, we it's have not the same wine we, we, we've got here. Although you can get wine here that doesn't have alcoholic content or sometimes right. limited to five or three percent. Uh, what I would say to people is that because alcohol is the number one abuse of uh, uh, drug today. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll deal with that at some point in time, and we'll talk about the effects of it and the the amount of mayhem that it commits uh, in terms of the family destruction, the family, the amount of deaths on the road that is caused by that. Uh, I would not recommend that a Christian indulge in the use of alcohol. Uh, I think it's a trap. I have a book, by the way, that you can probably get from CLC. It is called God is for the Alcoholic by a guy called Dunn. He wrote the book. He was an alcoholic who came off of it, and he wrote this book. And he warns uh, people not to engage in that acti- in it because it, it leads to an addiction, and it leads to dependency, and it can be very, very destructive. Remember, if you never take the first drink, you'll never become a drunkard. And uh, I think when you look at what is happening today in society and the abuse of alcohol, I would recommend that Christians stay away from it. If you use it for medicinal purposes, now I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I think it, I use it as a, a, a beverage. Uh, I would not. Re- but the Bible in itself, uh, I think it's very, very difficult to say explicitly that the Bible says you must never, ever use alcohol. I can't find that in the Bible. Uh, even t- t- to use medicinally, Paul told him to use a little bit for his stomach. Yeah. Of course, uh, it's believed that he has some common dysentery there and that, that would help. But in terms of using it as a recreational beverage, um, I would I would not recommend it. Um, Strong warnings fa- against it. Yeah, the, the warnings are so abundant in the Bible. If you go to the prophetic writings as well, when they condemn these drunkards, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, I would say, we, and then for testimony's sake, Generally speaking, I would say that the average person who is not a Christian does not expect a believer to be engaged in the use of alcoholic or even beers. Mm. Uh, I think that you could lose your testimony or witness. So, you know, you, I might feel something is legitimate for me. I'm free in Christ. But if it's going to endanger my witness and my testimony, I must be willing to forego it in the, in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Pastor, we have two more questions that have come in. The first one, the fruit that Eve ate, was it a drug fruit? Well, I don't know how you would know that unless you have some insight into the Bible. There's no, there's no, uh, I mean, check the word, uh, the tree. Uh, there's no, you can go and check the, in the concordance, you can check a lexicon. There's no mystical um, meaning behind the word there. So we, we don't know. Uh, if that has anything to do with it. I think the real matter had to do with the moral element involved. It was a matter of obedience or disobedience. It could have been any fruit. 
what was important was that God had laid down the, the, the restriction and being moral creatures, God was testing their obedience and uh, they chose. I don't think looking at the nature of the fruit, whatever it is, whether it be had some kind of uh, drug in it or not, is immaterial. What was important is that it was a matter of an act of disobedience and rebellion against God's stipulation and regulations uh, as far as man was concerned. And then another question that came in, if Eve was the mother of all living and the world became sinful because of her, was Mary the mother of all righteousness because of Christ Jesus? This must be a Catholic. I, I, I don't know why there's such a... Uh, I, I'm looking for a term now. I, I, maybe I might use another term sometime. But this focus on Mary is a delusion. And I can't understand how in the world that they read the Bible and cannot understand that it's not right to pray to any woman, to pray to any person. Mary was an ordinary woman. Surely she was elevated because she was used of God to bear God's son. Mary was a sinner. Mary herself said that in her Magnificat that she rejoiced in God her Savior. Only sinners need saviors. Uh, Mary is dead. There's no such thing as assumption that she never dies. She was taken directly to heaven. Uh, there's no such thing as the immaculate conception that Mary was conceived without any kind of sin. All of that is part of the the mystique that Catholicism has created. Uh, there's no biblical base for it whatsoever. Uh, so Eve is the mother of all living. Uh, Mary is not the mother of all righteous because... God is the father of all righteous uh, and not Mary. Um, I would say to that person who is calling in, get into your Bible, read your Bible for yourself. Uh, Don't be misled either by a pastor, a priest, a church. Let God's word speak to your heart and understand that if you are praying to a woman and you're praying to Mary, it is Maryolatry, it's idolatry. You need to get away from that and worship the true and the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. We honor Mary when we have Christmas and we, we bring a Christmas message, we talk about her virtue. But we don't elevate her. There's no, you know, the Catholic Church has elevated Mary to the Queen of Heaven. I have a, there's a church in Barbados. Really? Yeah, the church in Barbados. Uh, this after that's her title. She's Queen of Heaven. Now, if you go into the prophetic writings, uh, the Queen of Heaven is an a, a, a idol that heathens followed. Uh, again, I don't want to seem as though I'm bashing the Catholic Church because it would seem that way when I'm talking. But if you read Alexander Hislop's book, The Two Babylons. It's an interesting book. It's interesting, but fascinating. Yeah. It shows you very clearly how Catholicism took a lot of paganism. Because what she wanted to do was to get the pagans into the church. So what she took all the rites that were practiced by the pagans and brought it into the church and Christianize it. See? So if the pagans had a certain day that they worship, that day was now transferred to Christianity. See? That is why religions like the JW, the Seventh-day Adventists, often point to a lot of the things that currently practice in the church and, and say that it has pagan origins. They're right about that. Uh, a lot of them have pagan origins. The thing about it is that, um, like the, the birth of Christ, nobody knows he was born July, I mean, uh, December 25th. But again, uh, we honor his birth. I'm not worshiping Saturn 
on on the sa- on that particular day when, it, when or whatever it is, um, so it has been stripped of that. But I understand their concerns, and uh, I un- understand why they would use those kind of things. We have to face the reality that the Protestant Reformation came out of out of Catholicism, and some of those things were dragged over into the Protestant Church. We can't deny that. But um, so I think in this case. Um, Mary is not the mother of all righteous. Mary was the ch- chosen mother of our Lord. She's not the mother of his deity. She's the mother of humanity. She's not, the, she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of the man Jesus. The father is of his deity. I don't know if that answers the question, but this is one that keeps coming up again, and it bothers me that we're living in an enlightened age, and yet people are so deluded by uh, elevating a woman to a status that she doesn't and the other thing about it is that she is now the co-redemptrix and what that means that she along with Christ saves you it's not just Christ alone any longer that's a teaching within the, the Catholic Church um, if you read their encyclopedia she's now the co-redemptrix all of that is elevating her to a level of deity almost and of course she is now the co-mediator uh, where you come to her who goes to Jesus. So you now put a, a second tier in between when the whole reason for Christ becoming a man is that he made a mediator and he went to all points tempted so he can sympathize with us. So what is happening here is that we've injected a, a, a third party in between us and God. And uh, if that isn't idolatry, I don't know what is. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. Thank you to those of you who have sent in questions thus far tonight. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, maybe it's a hard question that was asked of you recently, maybe even today at work or at school, and you didn't know for sure how to answer it, Pastor Murphy would be glad to help you answer it from the Bible you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 1454 Maybe you have a topic that you would really like us to consider discussing in a future episode. We would love to get your input. You can send your topic to one 782 1454 Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 837 we have just over 20 minutes left in the program. Pastor, when those questions came in, you were right in the middle of talking about some of the more involved... Yeah, let me... Can I continue yeah, with that? Go. The other one was when you looked at acting disconnected or spacey. Uh, he has a tendency to maybe look out in space. and That's, that's not your son. That's not your child. Uh, he always had his mind focused, but now he's always in a dream world. And then physically hurting his younger siblings... Uh, that is a sure sign. That is act, that's violence now acting out. And by the way, sometimes what happens is because he's now on drugs, he's not doing too well at school. So what happens is little boy, brother and sister are now excelling. Mm. He gets very angry that they're doing better than he does. He begins to take it out on them uh, because he's seen himself as a failure. Um, uh, talking about he can't wait until he can... Uh, be allowed to have his freedom and legally be able to do what he wants to do. Uh, again, that's one of the a good signs. One of the signs, and then spending long time to period in the bathroom. Watch that. You know, he used to be five minutes. Now he's a half an hour, two hours. 
uh, that should be saying something to you as a parent. I'm not saying to put a camera in there, but you need to be aware <laughs> that, that that's a change. And if you find um, burnt holes in his clothing or in the furniture or in his bed or something like that, look for that. I think those are some of the things that would help you to know what he's actually doing. And I want to move to one other thing. Some of the real sure signs. Uh, I thought these subtly, not so subtle, and what they call these no sure signs that definitely, if you see these, there's beyond question that he's involved. Uh, what is called the paraphernalia found in his room, like strange vials, uh, small bags, mirrors, uh, a pipe, a tube, uh, sometimes razor blades, uh, cigarette papers, what they call wrappers, foil, uh, a lighter, a little scale, matches. Those are signs that he's doing something there. And if you also discover he now has large amounts of money, He's spending more than you've given. He's bringing home things that he's purchased, and you know that he you don't give him that kind of income. Something is going on there, and believe you me, he's got an easy channel of getting money, and there's no easier way of getting money than to sell drugs. So you need to be aware of that. Needle marks on his arms or, or clothing that prevent you from seeing his arms. He wears it down. He used to wear his, roll his sleeve up, but now everything is down. Uh, that should be make you aware that something is happening as well. And then when valuables begin to disappear from the house, where did that thing go to? Why would that be a sign? Uh, well, because somebody is stealing and perhaps he is um, selling it. Or what is another word? Pawn in it. Pawn in it. Yeah, that he's using. So that should be concerned that you know this vase that I had, a fairly expensive vase, is missing. Maybe an earring, a chain. Uh, you know, some valuable. I think that that should be a warning. Uh, repeated bloodshot eyes. Uh, the eyes are a key to the soul, and when a person is on a drug, it, his eyes almost. Uh, betrays him. Uh, it tells him something there about, and then dilated or, or or pinpoint pupils because your pupils dilate when you use drugs, much smaller than the normal. That is another good sign. Uh, mention of wanting to commit suicide. Uh, that's a warning sign as well. That's not your son. What's happening? That's not his mental state. Um, disappearance of diluted bottles of liquor from the cabinet. Uh, what's going on there uh, time spent with people who you know use drugs and when you confront him he gets angry right he's always got an excuse why he's with this particular group because in actual fact he's involved and you're challenging him uh, he's going to defend his friends and then the other one is defending his peers that they have a right to use drug and alcohol if they want to and nobody no, he's one to say that himself but by defending his his his, um, his peers, he's actually sending a very clear message to his parents. I think if you take those overall things and put them together, I think you have a pretty good idea uh, that uh, something is going on in your child's life and you need to have some kind of intervention. Pastor, why do you think there's so much confusion about the benefits versus the dangers of marijuana and drugs? I, I hinted at that earlier uh, in the beginning where I mentioned that 
the lopsided presentation of about the drug is misleading and confusing to the youth. As I said, if I was a young person watching CNN or watching one of these MSNBC when they were dealing with the matter of marijuana, I would get the impression that marijuana is the greatest drug that was ever discovered. It could solve so many problems because that's the angle from which they were presenting it. If I'm sitting there, I'm justifying, they're, they're helping me to justify my use of marijuana. They're not talking about the THC in the marijuana, which is what I use it to get the high, that this has no medicinal value whatsoever, other than to alter your, your brain and your mind and your thinking and affect you negatively. So I think this, by sending that mixed message and not, as I said, emphasizing the real dangers of the use of the drug, I think you embolden the young person to want to experiment to, to justify uh, what they're doing and also to endorse their friends' uh, participation in this use of drug. In my judgment, that's the main uh, reason why there's so much confusion. If government would just uh, hammer home the dangers, what the 20 or so different dangers of marijuana, for example, if they would keep pounding that into the, the minds that this is what it does to you, you're more inclined to get a young person want to listen or at least take heed to this matter. And the other thing, of course, is if you can really take people who have come off the drug, who have experienced the drug, to share their narrative, their, their story with uh, the young people, uh, both in the schools and maybe on the radio, uh, I, I think it would help the process because... The, the idea that uh, it's an innocent drug, it's harmless, and uh, we're trying to cheat them of having some kind of joy or pleasure, uh, and that adults are just trying to uh, use their control to, to, to keep the youth in submission, whatever it is, I, I really think that that is part of the reason why there's this, 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 this uh, problem that young people can't, they haven't grasped the idea of how dangerous or how harmful the drug is, because I would never get the impression from listening to any radio program that I've seen so far, that it is a dangerous drug. I don't know about you. It's harmful. I get the impression that, man alive, we've finally found something that's really so great. And all these years, these people have been telling us the wrong story. Yeah. That's the message that is being conveyed. And that's the message I think that the young people buy into. And they are emboldened now to proceed to use a drug. I mean, it's just an adolescent way of looking at life. You mentioned that you feel there needs to be penalties for the use of marijuana. And that maybe at the end of the program, uh, you'd like to discuss some of those appropriate penalties. Yeah, yeah. What would be some of your suggestions in that area? Well, I, I think that the, the fact that you've removed the, um, the you've de decriminalized the problem, okay? Uh, there have to be consequences. Without consequences, nobody is going to desist from using the drug. So you have to come up with certain kind of consequences. Uh, I was thinking this thing very through, uh, uh, trying to reason what, what would I do if I was in a position to influence policy in, in, in a government on this matter. And I, I came up with some things that I think that um, should be looked at, and I would recommend that. One of the things, and by the way, the order I give these is, is not consequential. They're just giving, sharing them. One of the things I would make sure that if a person was caught abusing marijuana, okay, I would almost make it mandatory that he take a tour of the psychiatric hospital. I would really make him, that would be, that would be mandated. You had to go up to the psychiatric hospital and you have to see what, the, what is actually going on up there. You sometimes need to put the fear of God in young people. 
uh, because they don't really they don't really connect. Uh, they don't they don't really see see what this thing does until they see it in reality. You talk about it, but they need to see it. That's one of the things that be be a penalty that if you're caught, uh, you will have to visit the psychiatric hospital and accompanied by a police or some um, warden or somebody. And I would make sure that when they got there, there was some kind of a documentary dealing with the issue of the drug so that they'll have to stay and watch it and see what is happening. Now, the people say, but, but that I really believe that will have an effect. To, to see it for real and then to see it, uh, document a documentary on it, etc., I think. And then uh, having one of the nurses at the, at the psychiatric hospital give a, a 10-minute lecture and what they've found in relation to the frequency of the mental problem as it relates to drug use. Uh, I think that would help. Um, the other thing is I would make sure that there's some kind of financial cost that you have to pay off or work off, okay? If you say you don't have money, I would make you have to do work. I would government buildings that need maintenance that need cleaning community service service. I would make sure that it's mandatory and you know the other thing I would do I I think that I know this might seem kind of harsh right but I would make sure that when they do those community service they have on a uniform not a prison uniform but a uniform that identifies them as as drug offenders there has to be an element of shame as well okay Mm -hmm. if there's no shame in this thing it robs it of its its power Right, and I think that that would be something uh, that they should look at. Um, I think that if you have a minor involved in drugs, I would make the parent pay the financial penalty. Right, uh, uh, maybe not for the first offence, but maybe for the second or third offence, because the parent is responsible for the minor. For the teenager, now, as I said, he has to give pay back his contribution if he wants to uh, work. He's not getting money in his hand, by the way. I'm charging him $1,000 for the offense, but he works off $1,000 in day jobs, either in the government buildings or community work or something, or maybe at the geriatric hospital or maybe at the boys' center. But he has to do something to work it off. It's a a work part of it, the program. And then I would also um, try to give him um, counseling sessions. He would have to meet with some some counselor. I don't. I know the ministry might have uh, people who are involved in in the drug department dealing with the drug issue. Uh, he should go to mandatory that he goes to a counseling session with those, and then I would try to get him involved, the persons involved in some kind of sporting activity. I, I think that the energy that is consumed in drugs uh, that can be dissipated in some kind of sport activity. So he'd be mandated that he either join a soccer club or a cricket club or something. You had to, this is the penalty. In other words, there's no choice here, right? There's no choice. Um, I, those are some things that I thought that, that would share. If you're not going to, if you're not going to uh, bring a legal penalty and you're, not going to, you're going to decriminalize it, you still have to have some kind of a consequence. I haven't... Um, um, f- fully gone through in my mind. I mean, there are others I'm going to come up with because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do we make some consequences here because that's my, my problem. You can't, nobody will take any 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 act that is wrong seriously unless it's a penalty. And by removing the penalty 
we are emboldened to keep on doing what they're doing. There has to be some kind of a penalty. Uh, but those are five or six suggestions that I have immediately, uh, thinking of how we would deal with this problem, to hurt that uh, alternative to the current way in which it's being dealt with. And of course, the, the thing I would like to say that might seem very prejudicial, I would make it mandatory that they attend church. And I mean, for that time that they're working off whatever it is, they should go to church. It's part of their the penalty to sit in the church because this is a spiritual problem. But shouldn't the church and state be separate, Pastor? Yes, but uh, there are times when I think the church can, the, 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 the government can assist. Like, for example, I mean, the church and the state assembly, the church still benefits from tax exemption. Yeah. Right. So I think there are legitimate times when there can be an interface between the church and the and the and the, and the government. And in the case where we really, you know, it's uh, it's a moral responsibility of adults to help the youth who are dealing with these, prob- these, these, these problems. And I believe that it's a real spiritual need, a void that is there, and the church can be an avenue. And I think the, the, whoever that penalty should be, that they need to go to church. Yeah. Pastor, a couple of very good WhatsApp questions that just came in. What about the medical use of drugs that can become addictive, like prescribed pain relievers? Can or should a Christian use these if prescribed? Well, I think that what you have is the abuse of drugs in America, the opioid uh, problem. I mean, those are prescription drugs that are actually abused. Uh, The potential for the abuse of any drug is there. But if a drug is prescribed because you've got some kind of pain, and you are able to follow the the guidelines that the doctor has given to you, um, I see nothing wrong with that. But you have to be aware that there can be a danger that you go over the edge, that you can actually be ten- become dependent on the drug. I know of a pastor, for example, who for, um, for some time was um, depressed. And um, no matter what happened, I think it was for a long period of time he was depressed. And uh, to my knowledge, what I've heard that uh, the, the drug that he was using to bring him out of the uh, depressed mood, he almost become, became addicted to that. He couldn't function except he'd used the drug. That's a reality. So I think there's a real danger, um, even in the medical use of the drug. But again, it's not that you're using it for the purpose of becoming addicted. And I think you need to be watchful. If you become aware that you're becoming the addicted to the use of the drug, you need to talk to your physician, and maybe you can alter, uh, offer an alternative so that you don't become addicted. But I, I don't think, I don't see it the same way as a person deliberately taking the drug to become a, a, an addict or to get a high. If there's a legitimate medical condition where it's prescribed by a doctor, I think it is quite um, legitimate for a, 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 for a Christian to use the drug. You can go on Amazon, and not that I'm in any way endorsing this, mm-hmm. but uh, you can get pure cannabis oil, only $50 for 10 milliliters. Uh, if it's for pain relief, if that is something that is relieving my pain and I am a Christian, would you have any hesitation in a believer using that? My thing is, if the doctor uh, diagnosed your problem, and he believes that this medical, whatever it is, marijuana doesn't ha- does have a, a, a medical use. There's no question about that. Even in the some of the uh, the documentary that I saw on CNN and MSNBC, uh, I think it was Dr. Gupta. Um, he did point out that it has medicinal use and that people are really healthy. Now that's it. Look, I think the greatest failure on this whole drug issue has been the abandonment of the medical profession 
in dealing with the problem forthrightly and really uh, addressing this matter uh, in a public forum that the people become aware of the abuse of the drug. I think that I'm not too sure if they're cowards. I don't know what the problem is, but I would think that a medical profession who has the expertise should be willing to really deal with this matter in an open way so that people can ask questions. I can't answer certain questions that people ask because I'm not a medical doctor, but I believe that there are Christian doctors that need to take a stand on these matters, and I am not too sure if they're afraid that they'll lose clients, their fear of of being uh, somehow... Uh, bullied on the radio, on the television. I'm not too sure what the problem is, but I do think it's abandonment of duty, and they have a responsibility to try to give an answer to some of these problems. Pastor, a text message that has come from Nevis. The phrase, the eye is the window to the soul. Is that in the Bible? And if so, where and what does it mean? No, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's just one of those... Uh, um, I want to call it a proverb. You might call it a, um, it's a, it's a terse saying, basically, that embodies some particular truth. And, and it's a reality that you can sometimes look into a person's eye and the, and the eye tells you a lot. Um, and a person is guilty, for example, it's very hard for them to stare at you and look at you in the eye. They, they're always trying to avoid you. Uh, I have a, a, a capacity and this might seem rather strange saying it on the radio, but I had not been wrong about this one. There are two things that I... Homosexuals, for example, I have not been wrong so far. There's something about the eyes and the lips. Uh, those are two of the most prominent signs I can normally tell, and I have not been wrong yet on the matter, but looking at a person's eyes and looking on the lips, that I can pretty much say uh, that person is, is, is on the gay side. Uh, as I said, I haven't been wrong yet. I might be proven wrong in the future. But I think that the eyes say a lot about the soul. But it's not in the scriptures, but I do think there's a lot of truth in it that the eyes open the window to the soul. Pastor, we've only got a couple minutes left in the program, but you were referencing that a lot of people use drugs because they have a meaningless life. For the listener who says, I am really struggling, I thought I had purpose in life, but I've recently realized my life is meaningless. Pastor, how can they get meaning in life? Well... When, when, you, when you look at the scriptures and you look at the life of Christ and uh, the message of the Bible is that man is alienated from God, that man is a sinner, uh, that man lost his relation with God when he willfully rebelled against God. As a result of that alienation, he's not now only alienated, alienated from God, he's also alienated from his fellow man and he's actually alienated from himself. Uh, so that there is an existential problem that man has and that is a need to reconnect with God. And this is where uh, Christ comes in, that God in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, came to bridge the gap uh, between himself and mankind and to take hold of man's hand and God's hand and bring man and back together. The Bible calls that reconciliation, to bring us back into a relationship. The, the fact is that the void that's within a man's heart, in every man's heart that's born of Adam, there's a void. That void can never be filled with anything other than God himself. And uh, the only way to come to know God in a relationship is through Jesus Christ. So I would say to that person that meaning is found in Christ. You know, a, a book that you should read is the book of Ecclesiastes, because the whole theme of Ecclesiastes has to do with the search for meaning and purpose. And if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll find that Solomon tries every avenue to find meaning and satisfaction. He tried education. 
he tried learning, and he said uh, that uh, it's, it's, it's vanity and all of vanity. Uh, Solomon tried to become a great public worker, uh, a builder. He built aqueducts. He built large homes. He uh, he, he planted a garden, uh, almost like an idyllic paradise where he can go and meditate, but even that is vanity. Then Solomon turned to pleasure. He turned to women. He's a man that had 800 concubines and 2,000 wives. But even then, he said it's vanity. vanity. And then he says, here the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandment. This is the whole duty of man. It's only at the end that he explains where found meaning and purpose was found. It was found in a relationship with God. Very well stated. Thank you for joining us for That's Truth tonight. Be sure you join us again next week. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse as your source of encouragement, as your source of being fed spiritually here in the Eastern Caribbean. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is now 8.59. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.